You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Throw, that's Shepard. Sterling Shepard inside the 30. What a comeback by the Giants touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the cranky fan. Uh, how you doing, grump? How do you feel after your, our week vacation? Well, uh, seeing as how I have a, an actual job, uh, it didn't feel like much of a vacation, but there was one night in there where I got some sleep. Yeah, uh, just nice and relaxed, and uh, I'm glad the draft is over. I'm glad the, you know... All the crazy people have calmed down a little bit, and now we can actually start talking about the roster and the draft picks in a sane manner, as opposed to wanting to burn down the Meadowlands. Yeah, I, I have to say most of my rest and relaxation is um, had to do with the draft itself and just the crazy amount of film that I was trying to watch in a short amount of time. Um, but now we can laser focus. In it, when we're not looking at a broad scope of players. We are looking at, you know, just the just the select few that were taken in, in the draft by the Giants this year. And this is what I like because I am you are much more of a wide wider net person than I am. I can't I can't talk about you know fifty five different running backs who I know fifty four of them we're not going to have. So now that we know who who's ours, I like to really focus on what we got, how they fit into our short term and long term plan with this team. And uh, this is when it gets exciting for me. Yeah, and that's sort of going to be the focus of this episode is where this episode and next episode we'll be looking at the state of the roster, specifically breaking it in half, the uh, offense and the defense. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, though, um, for all you giant season ticket holders out there, you got the save to date for the fan forum that will be coming up in June at the Beacon Theater, where usually they have you know the GM, the head coach come up and, you know, Bob Papa throws some softball questions. The fans ask even more softball questions and, you know, you get free popcorn out of it. So it is kind of worth it. But, uh, what I thought we'd do before we got into our preview of the offense, kind of our state of the offense is want to throw something at you, Grump. If you had the opportunity to ask one question to Gettleman or Shermer or both, what would it be? And maybe we'll both try to answer that question while as we hear each of our questions. I, I know a lot of our uh, our fans watch or watch out for this town hall, and they know all about it because I see people talking about it on Twitter. Um, but you know, for me, I I don't really know that I have a specific question. You know, this is an easy time to throw a burn on Gettleman for any number of things that he said that were, you know a bit of a stretch, you know, anytime you refer to Jabril Peppers as the same as a first round pick or, you know, I I know people will try and draw him a little bit further out on his comments about Odell Beckham being a locker room cancer or distraction or whatever. Uh, You know, I'm not really interested in any of that shit. I guess my big question would be, in their opinion, and I know I wouldn't get an honest answer out of this. Which is yeah, so. yeah. Let, let's do this exercise as assuming you would get an honest answer, not you know some puff piece answer. But let's, let's assume for a minute they actually gave you an honest answer. I would ask uh, how far away they think the offensive line is from being complete at this time. You know, it, 
while we look at it as leaps and bounds better from the year before and the, the year before even that, and we'll get that more specifically, you know, we're looking at, you know, a patch at right tackle. We're heading towards what we consider a patch at left tackle. It, it didn't look like we've really drafted too many hog models. You know, that'll remain to be seen, of course, but a lot of free agent acquisitions on this line. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure. I would like to know how Gettleman, how Shermer view this offensive line in terms of its completion. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely where we stand this moment compared to where we won one year ago is a significant improvement. You know, right. I, and that, that's like sort of an in the now thing, right? I mean, how much mm-hmm. do they envision Nate Solder going to the end of his contract would be something I want to know. How much they envision Kevin Zeitler being on the team? You know, Mike Remmers, is he going to be just the one-year solution? Do they have a backup plan for him at right tackle? Is it the guy that they drafted in the seventh round? You know, these are the questions that I really want answered. I mean, for this year, it's a seems to be a competent offensive line. But down the road, how do they envision it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My question would be, you know, Sort of an obvious question, but I think it's something I'd like to hear what they'd have to say. Is uh, Was Daniel Jones the highest guy on their board when we drafted, or was the quarterback need the highest spot on their board, and did Daniel Jones change where quarterback need was on their board? Well, didn't they say that Josh Allen and Daniel Jones had the same grade on their board? They did. They okay. did. But I'm I'm just curious, you know, if they've decided, you know, if there were other factors, was the deciding factor thinking this is the right opportunity to address quarterback, or was it not? Or, you know, I'm I'm very curious how that decision making process happened and how they decided, you know, obviously they decided Jones was the highest quarterback on their board, but, you know, was the need for a future quarterback overriding that difference between the the two of them or not, or or what that was? So. I'd be very curious to hear what they would say for an answer of that. And I know you're never going to get that true answer. If that question was asked in the, you know, in the fan forum, you're going to get, that's the guy we always loved. I fell in love with him, blah, 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 blah. But I'd like to know what the real answer was, you know, forget, you know, and maybe part of it was they were spooked by, there really was a couple of their teams out there looking for, maybe they were spooked by Washington. Maybe, you know, I don't know. It just, uh, it just seemed, you know, We've had some distance now to think about the pick, and while, you know, I don't think we're shocked anymore by it, I, I would like to know the thinking behind it and how it all came to be. For sure, and uh, you know, I, uh, it's really important to note that p- people take answers by GMs, coaches, etc., way too seriously. I know, like, you know, you'd hope that you get an honest answer when you ask a question because you wonder what the point is otherwise, but. It's just the nature of it. You're not going to get an honest answer. Sure. Um, I I do think that they had a a character kind of um, difference between Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins. I don't think it was on-the-field stuff so much. I mean, I do think that there were some on-the-field things, like – for instance, Daniel Jones has a lot of experience playing, whereas Dwayne Haskins does not. Daniel Jones is far more mobile. I mean, the dude ran a, 
a very fast 40 time off the top of my head. I don't, I think it was in the four or fives though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his accuracy down deep was a little bit better. Whereas that's where Haskins started to get a little shaky reading. The defense I think was a little bit better for Daniel Jones, although he still made some poor decisions, but I think somewhere in there was a character trait of some kind that put him above Dwayne Haskins. And I don't know that we'll ever find that out unless Dwayne Haskins fucks up in a major way in the public eye. And then it kind of comes out like this is what we were afraid of. Yeah, but remember something that Dwayne Haskins has the disadvantage of going to a organization that's done a very bad job of developing anybody. I so agree. That, yeah. That's not really fair to him, you know, being put in a situation, you know. And again, I know RG3 had injuries, so that's not really fair to to Griffin or to the Redskins for that that matter. But, you know, the track record of the Redskins taking draft picks and developing them to their maximum potential is not really there. Well, I, I agree with you, but fairness has nothing to do with me. I'm not the one being unfair. It just is what it is. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're telling me. Um, I yes. just, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting though. You know, uh, it's, it's a good question. I, I would be, I would love to get a, a look at what their draft board was and just compare it to where I had mine. Mm-hmm. And remember everybody out there for the thousandth time, just because you saw Mel Kuyper Jr.'s draft board, that, that does not mean that's the draft board that all 32 GMs were going by. No, in fact, and, it's probably the draft board that zero GMs are going by. Exactly. All 32 GMs had a draft board unique to the needs and the preferences and the scheme and everything involved with their organization only. So, you know, just because, you know, one of these clowns on ESPN did not have X this high or this low does not mean that's what, you know, was on any other board in any of the war rooms. So what's really interesting. And this was said live on NFL network during the first round of the draft when Oakland uh, took Cleveland Farrell at four, I guess it was, was way higher than a lot of people had. But Rich Eisen said, you know, what's funny is that Mike Mayock is the one making the choices now. But if if he weren't the GM, he would be on the panel saying what a good pick it was and why he should be there. We'd have an expert opinion having him Mm -hmm. go that high. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody's draft board looks a little bit different. So. Sure. And nobody knows their own needs better than the people in that war room. Sure. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, sometimes you just see this is my third ranked quarterback. I'm going to slot him in here. Well, maybe, you know, they don't know what the their ranking of needs are like, you know, the GMs, and the player personnel and the coaches all do. So, well, speaking of roster, let's uh, let's jump right into the offensive roster for the Giants. Um, We'll get right into the big shakeup at quarterback. It's starting to get crowded in the backup room a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, as of right now, it still looks like Eli Manning is going to be the the starter. Uh, I envision him being the starter the whole year unless shit goes seriously south. Um, whether it be and, early on, midway, or at the end, you know. And and you know something, if we are four and six, that is shit not seriously going wrong. I think if any, I think if anything, the 
uproar about drafting Jones is going to help Jones because – and I think it's going to help Eli Manning too. I mean I don't think there's going to be this – you know, the first time Eli throws an incomplete pass, get da- uh, get Daniel Jones on the field. That's a good point. I think people – I don't think unless you know he com- shows to be a complete failure on the field, I don't think you're, he's ever going to have as low an opinion about him from the fan base as he has right now. So there's not going to be this – Daniel Jones is, you know, he's the hot shot quarterback who's just, you know, right over his shoulder, like a Haskins would be, mm-hmm. like a Kyler Murray would be. So mm-hmm. if anything, I think it's, I think it's good news for Eli. And I think it's good news for for Daniel Jones as well. So. Well, I mean, quite frankly, Daniel Jones could use the whole year to get acclimated to the NFL game. Of course. Uh, you know, it would benefit <laughs> both of them for Eli Manning to finish this year, or at least, you know, play up to game 16 or something like that. Sure. I mean, the Giants are in the business of trying to win as many games as they can and try to make the playoffs. I mean, the Giants were not trying to tank last year necessarily until they were out of contention for making the playoffs. I mean, that's and that's the way they're going to uh, treat this year. They're going to feel like, hey, you know, we've done steps to bolster our offensive line. We've done things to kind of shore up some spots. We think Eli is in a better position to succeed than he was last year. They're going to try to make the playoffs, and that does not jive necessarily with, you know, bringing in a rookie quarterback at this moment. Now, you know, they could be two and eight, they could be two and ten, they could be, you know, who knows? Situation will change, but until they are mathematically eliminated, Eli Manning's your man. Well, I sure as hell hope that you're they're in the business of getting to the playoffs, because otherwise, why am I watching? Well, I mean, you're watching because you're a you're a fan of this team and you want long term success, and you know that you know doing everything you can just to make the playoffs this year at the potential risk of long term success is not what we want to do. That doesn't mean they're going to be doing that, or that's not the steps they're taking right now. But I, when people say what you just said, I always put it like I look at it as a longer picture. Oh, I, I agree with you, but you know, I don't have to go to games <laughs> if yeah. they're if they're not in the business of trying to win. Well, I don't think I don't think necessarily they were actively trying to lose games last year. No, me either. I don't think that they, you know, they weren't like on third and ten just throwing it into the third row of seats because oh, they, there's a better chance to lose in this situation. I think that when things were going south, they didn't try you know do any short term fixes or. The goal didn't become right the ship make the playoffs this year. It became looking to the future. And I was fine with that the whole year. Yeah. So so Eli Manning is our, our starter here. Who's the first guy off the bench? Does that change midway through the year? Because right now the quarterback room is Daniel Jones, Kyle Laletta, Alex Tanney, and Syracuse undrafted free agent Eric Dungy. It depends on what you mean by first guy off the bench. Is Eli Manning hurt for four to six weeks? Is it Eli Manning is struggling? Well, forget is four it, to six weeks. Let's just say he's hurt right now and it's week three. I think they make an assessment and they see where is Daniel Jones, like with picking up anything that he's picked up in the first six months he's been in the organization. And if they don't think he's ready, I think it's Alex well, Tanny. I mean – We'll just phrase it kind of like this: like Eli Manning gets up and 
pulls himself out of the game because you don't know the nature and severity of his injury. It's Alex Tanney that goes in in week three, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, week 11, 12, 13, we start seeing Daniel Jones creep into that mix, I think. Oh, sure. By that time, he's spent in, you know six months he's been in the program. Mm-hmm. And while he's not taking first-team you know, reps every, every time in practice, he is – been devouring the playbook for six months. He's been learning how to watch film. He's been getting reps with the second team. Um, I guess they wouldn't use him as a scout team quarterback, right? Well, that oh, be- oh, man, you took it right from me. This is where we're going to finally see the separation between bullshit talk and real talk. You know, <laughs> all those times last year and the year before where Kyle Loletta couldn't get off the scout team and before that Davis Webb couldn't get off the scout team. I don't think Daniel Jones is going on the scout team. This is the difference between the bullshit talk and the real talk. Daniel Jones is the real deal hope of this franchise going forward. Davis Webb never really was. It was just a hope and a prayer that he would impress at that stage. Every snap you take as a scout team quarterback is one snap you're not taking learning the offense of the New York football giants. You're learning the offense of the other team. Exactly. You're mimicking what Philadelphia is doing or Washington is doing or – Baltimore, whoever we're playing the next week. So how does that help you get ready to run this offense? It doesn't. So, yeah, I don't think he'll be. And also, you know, I, I just think you want to be very smart with, you know, you don't want the guy getting hurt doing some things. If you're trying to mimic an offense that's more running around or something, do you really want him running around? Well, in his case, I mean, it's part of who he is, I think. But, yeah, you know, it's just the point. Um, yeah. I, I I think what we have here is going to be Eli Manning, Alex Tanney, and Daniel Jones will be like 2A and 2B, and it's going to be depending on the time of year, etc. And I think when it comes to practice, they're going to split reps probably. Yeah. The interesting thing is how Kyle Loletta and Eric Dungy fall out. I mean, what happens to Kyle Loletta? I mean, he does sort of fit what – Pat Shermer likes in a mobile quarterback with good accuracy in the short range. Eric Dungy, you know, we can laugh about Syracuse being terrible, but if you actually watch him specifically, they're not that bad. I mean, Syracuse in general wasn't that bad last year. I think they even – did they almost beat Clemson? They should have beat Clemson, actually, yeah. and they beat, they beat Florida State. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, I, I think that – I think it's a numbers game. I think Kalalet is out. And having said that, that is not a mark against Gettleman for taking him last year. And what I always tell people is situations change. At this time last year, they did not think we'd be drafting sixth. That was yeah. not their intention. So they thought this this is a guy that, you know, and also they thought that Eli had more of a shelf life than he probably has left. So what you're doing then and the situation changes now, you are a fool to not adapt to the situation that's happening. Like, and I said this, you know, a couple of people right after the draft and people think I'm crazy for some reason, if the giants end up two and 14 next year and they have the second pick in the draft and two is available. Don't be shocked if they draft Tua. I mean, if this your situation changes, 
I mean, if, if the best available player is, you know, a quarterback from a much better quarterback class and he's available, you might see, you know, this isn't someone like, I mean, it happened this year. We, we, we saw it this year happen with Arizona. So, but my point being, you adapt to the situation that presents itself. A hundred percent, because at the very least, you get yourself some trade capital. Sure. So, you know, if if Daniel Jones goes by the wayside to become a third round pick later, who cares? You've upgraded your quarterback spot and you got an extra pick out of it. Worth it. Mm-hmm. Always mm-hmm. improving your roster. I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. A hundred percent, and I think you know, and there's now recent precedent of that happening. I mean, I applaud. Arizona for doing what they did. People think they were crazy. Some people are like, not me. I mean, if they, the opportunity to get Kyler Murray wasn't there, they were very happy with who they had. But guess what? You have the chance to improve. And I like that because that means nobody on the roster or starting 22 should feel safe that I have a roster spot. I have a starting position. That there's always looking to, to improve this team any way possible. I will say, don't be shocked if Eric Dungy winds up being the practice squad quarterback. Don't be shocked. I don't know if Kyle Letta is practice squad eligible. He, I don't know the eligibility. I know he did get some snaps last year. So, I think he's just... I think we may try to make a trade for him for maybe a late round pick. If not, I would just think they probably would cut him. And I think they might cut him early give him the opportunity to try to latch on to another team. Hmm. The running back position is, isn't much clearer. I mean, we have the same kind of situation, right? We have a clear cut starter with Saquon Barkley. After that, it's a little murky. I mean, you would think that Wayne Gallman might have a bit of an edge because he showed some promise. He was the first guy off the bench last year, but they just recently signed Rod Smith who different style runner kind of uh, had a decent year. I mean, interesting that he was gotten for so cheap uh, and then, you know, even so, we, there's Paul Perkins, a completely different style runner who has a full year of rest underneath him for health reasons. The nature of his injury and severity was a little bit unknown to us. What's his situation right now? Is he back to 100% health or wh- where are we with him? Allegedly, yeah. Okay. So it becomes murky. I mean, Wayne Gallman, I would say, has the upper hand for first guy off the bench, but it's not – much of an upper hand. I mean, this is very much a camp battle at the running back two and three spot. Good. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want. We want, uh, we want competition. We want the best to come out of this. If I, if I had to take a complete stab in the dark, I would think that Wayne Gallman and Rod Smith are, you know, two and three in whichever order, you know, they're a little bit different style runners. I, it might just depend on the situation. But I could easily see Paul Perkins making a push to get that spot. I think this is a 100% open competition for the coaches here. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And it's it's just amazing to me how much Perkins has fallen after having a, you know, a, a great first year. Great. Not well, amazing. Barkley had a great first year. <laughs> Barkley had if he weren't so hyped up coming out of college, he would have had what we would consider close to a, you know, the beginnings of a Hall of Fame career, you know, level hype. Um, I think if people weren't expecting us to take a quarterback in that whole, you know, was it the right decision, yes or no? If you're just saying 
we just drafted him just on its own merits, you'd be like, my God. Well, I think that Barkley checked all the boxes we thought he might, that he had the potential to make. Paul Perkins, I mean, is a fifth-round draft pick out of UCLA. It was pretty low on everybody's board. Fit in pretty well in, in Ben McAdoo's offense, and he, you know, turned a couple of heads, looked like he was going to start having the beginning of a promising career and just fell off the face of the earth, and none of us really could figure out why. You know, There were games he didn't play at all. We're just like, what's going on? Yeah. And then, you know, there was also this offensive line hasn't been good for several years. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe he doesn't shoulder all the blame, but we'll, right. we'll see. I, I do think that his style of zigzaggy kind of running is a little bit, it's a little bit different than Barkley's, you know, it's not so hit the hole. Um, it just, it might be a nice change of pace, but. Again, it's going to be, I think, a complete open competition. There. It's more shifty and it is boom mm-hmm. and hit that spot and go. Um, the fullback spot looks like it's just Eli Penny at this moment. Um, mm. Do we think that they keep a fullback again? Uh, I think it turns into a numbers game how the rest of the roster shakes out. With tight ends, I, right? Yeah, I don't think they're specifically saying we want to keep a fullback, but I think if they – you know, it depends on like if you know how many tight ends they keep, or you know, even wide receivers. How many they keep? What the decision would be? How, if there's an open space for him, I think he stays. But if there's just the numbers aren't there, I think they're gonna, you know, get rid of somebody else just to keep him. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I think Eli Penny, his whole job doesn't necessarily depend on how well he does. It depends on how well the tight end group does. I think mm-hmm. ideally, Gettleman would like to. My ideal situation I think for Gettleman is to have at tight end Evan Ingram and Rhett Ellison and then Scott Simonson and CJ Conrad. And I think he wants Conrad and Simonson to start pushing for Ellison's job by the end of this year. And in the meantime, one of those guys plays sort of that fullback role. You know, I can see that. Yeah. Or like an H back role. You know, he's just kind of like in the backfield throwing blocks or, you know, whatever. Um, but the fact that Penny is already on the roster leaves a cushion for in case Simonson doesn't take any sort of leap from where he was last year. Conrad maybe isn't ready. Uh, you know, it, it's just an insurance policy. I don't think Penny can play out of his mind at fullback to really earn his spot, which is an unfortunate spot for him to be in. But mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe he goes in there and he just manhandles everybody and he also has some special teams contributions or whatever and he shows that he can catch the ball in the backfield. I guess, yeah, maybe maybe he can wow some people into keeping his spot. But I think ideally they'd like to keep more tight ends for their versatility. Yeah, I also have major expectations for the position in this offense either. I think, you know, having the, having good tight ends, I think, solves that, you know, the blocking needs of this offense yeah yeah i think you're right yeah yeah and i'm also expecting better performance in the offensive line too so you're not relying as much on blocking from the fullback position or that flex position so well yeah let's jump into that i mean i we sort of teased at the top with my my question to the the honest Mm -hmm. honest get (laughs) them honest dave um but but yeah so here we are nate solder is now at 31 and uh, I guess this is sort of the downswing of his career. Still a, an above-average left tackle. 
um, but not at all dominant. Uh, Will Hernandez on the upswing as a, a mauler at left guard has become everything that we were hoping he would be. The mental part is starting to come around for him. There's fewer mistakes as the year went on last year. We hope mm-hmm. he keeps that going. The center position is still sort of up in the air. We think it's John Jalapio, right? So I was going to ask you the question, is the starting center on this roster right now? Uh, well, I, I guess I guess not. I mean, you know, there's still cut down day come preseason. There might be a surprise. That's where I was kind of hinting towards where, you know, these two might battle it out all during training camp. But I think you might see a, a, a cut down where we might pick up somebody. Yeah, and, and you're referring to Jalapio and Spencer Pulley, who were last year's starters. You know, I, I know the reports coming out of Giants camp were that they were very high on Jalapio. I'm just going to go by my own eyes and say that he was okay. I think they're both okay, and I think if they can find somebody who's a – let's put it this way. How many teams would either of these guys start on in the NFL right now? Only, I don't think that list – Only bad ones. I don't think that list is very high. So I think you know, just because people get cut and cut down day, not because they're not good anymore. There's a lot of reasons. There's, there's salary cap reasons. There's, you know, position battles and you can't keep them both or something. So I have a hunch that on opening day, neither of these guys is going to be the starter. It would be interesting. Additionally, the, the Giants took undrafted free agent out of Buffalo, James O'Hagan. Um, you know, whenever I see something like that, um, like a, an offensive lineman from a school like Buffalo, I have to wonder. I, I, I would think that he caught somebody's eye while they were checking out the quarterback whose name – it was a Tyree Jackson. Is that his name? Yeah, but also for something like that when a guy's there, you, who knows if he had eligibility for a good school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe he was recruited by Penn State, couldn't get in, had to go JUCO, and ended up ending up in a Buffalo. So, well, there's other things too. I mean, maybe he's just—I I don't know him very personally, but he could just be from the Buffalo area and didn't want to leave home. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, don't assume that sometimes when you see these diamonds in the roughs, you know, why they're there, and it's not because just well they suck. <laughs> there's usually other reasons. Well, but I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, if the, if the scouts are there to check out a specific guy and, and the quarterback was like the top draftable prospect from Buffalo and somebody else catches their eye, that means that he stood out to the naked eye. They weren't even watching him and he stood out. Sure, sure. So, I mean, that's always promising to me. I mean, again, we're, we're talking about an undrafted free agent, so I'm not trying to blow the guy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those names to keep an eye on. He was also one of the first ones that they signed. Very early on, his name was announced to the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, right guard finally addressed, um, at least in my opinion, competently. I wouldn't consider Omame a competent addition. Then again, I don't believe he was really signed to be a right guard. But He was signed to be a left guard. Yeah. I mean, that was, remember, that's again, we've been banging this drum for years that we wish that free agency occurred after the draft because that basically was wasted money by the Giants. But but, but to their credit, what I just talked about 10 minutes ago, situation changed. They were able to get a left guard that they wanted, and they weren't locked into, well, we just drafted a left guard. So you know, that's another sign that was, you know, that this team 
is opportunist and they will, you know, adapt to the current situation. Yeah, and and that's really honestly the way they have to play it. But, you know, Kevin Zeitler, 29 from Wisconsin, I would say in the prime of his career right now. Maybe the prime was 2 years ago, but he's still in that window of uh at the top of his game. And I think this, the story was that he got the, 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 uh, notification that he was traded while working out, which is, I don't know, always good to know. I mean, the, the, the story is that he's a weight room warrior. So, I mean, mission one for the giants is one, keep Eli upright first. And then we'll worry about, you know, the, Last couple of years, the offensive line was so bad, and part, and part of the reason why Eli was so bad because the guy was running for his life and he be developed happy feet, and he was scared probably from have lack of protection. So, you know, getting guys that are thirty years old, thirty one, is that you know, is that oppor- you know, for building for long term success? Well, maybe not, but you have to start by putting your finger in the dike now, and then you can build around that. As long as you know you're at least competent. And I feel right now this offensive line at least is competent. Well, I think also it's important that you build underneath it. Exactly. So, you know, here here we have a right guard, and we didn't draft a guard in, in this year's draft, but you have a guy here that can probably pay, play for the next four years at a high level or, you know, mm-hmm. at a above-average level. And in that four years, you can pick a right guard at any time to groom underneath him. And if you pick a guard really up high in, like, say, the second round, third round— you know, you can do that closer to the end of, you know, where you envision Kevin Zeitler playing uh, for the Giants still. You know, if you're planning on developing a guy, if if a, if a guy who should have been drafted in, say, the third or fourth round falls all the way to the sixth or seventh and you get him there and you are you think he just needs a year or two, then, you know, you can get him a little bit earlier and uh, have him ready to plug and play. Because, like you said, uh you know, mission number one here, objective one is to keep Eli upright. Objective two is to keep Daniel Jones upright. Nothing is worse than having a rookie quarterback running for his life. Exactly, exactly. We've seen we've seen prospects for years be ruined by the first couple of years by, you know, continuously getting knocked on their ass. Yeah, and, and you know, the Giants had a backup quarterback who was a first overall pick, right? David Carr? David Carr. I mean, uh, that first year when he was at Houston was it was you know, it was scary how often he was getting hit. I think it I think the there was a record for uh most sacks in a season back with the first year of the of the Texans. Yeah, I would say it bordered on criminal, you know, the situation he was put in. Well, look last year at Arizona with 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 Rosen. I mean, we were watching I mean, we were famously doing a podcast one night on a Monday night, and I was watching the game as I'm doing this. So I had to interrupt three or four times because I was in horror of watching him just getting beat up. That's not what you want to do with your, you know, your top five investment. Who you're going to spend potentially millions of dollars on? Yeah, I am probably the most excited about the Kevin Zeitler trade than any other move that happened in the offseason outside of the draft. You're probably the only person in the planet who called it the Kevin Zeitler trade. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we have to find some reason for optimism here. <laughs> no, really. I, I mean, acquiring Kevin Zeitler, I have been screaming for right guards 
years and years and years before this podcast even existed. Since leather helmets, you were. Yeah. Not really. Um, I don't even think Draft Day was a movie yet. I'm like pretty <laughs> sure it wasn't. Um, is it? Is it at this point? <laughs> well, I, I, I just. It never really truly happened. The right guard spot was never addressed. Right tackle, you know, center, left tackle, all sorts of offensive line positions were in some regard addressed, but right guard never was. And ever since, you know, Chris Snee started to fall apart, I was like, we got to get this. This is an important position. People underestimate right guard. Nobody did it. And now we finally have somebody in there, and I have I have high hopes for Zeitler. Not really a road grader, but certainly holds up in pass protection, and that's a – a huge thing right now. I mean, get securing that front end of the pocket is really going to be key for Eli Manning at this point in his age and mobility and for Daniel Jones and learning to run through his progressions a little bit, sticking mm-hmm. to the pocket and looking through his progressions. It's important that he has a pocket to step up into. Um, so I, uh, I texted you yesterday with the question, you know, how comfortable do you feel with this offensive line right now? You know, where do you, on a scale of one to 10, where do you feel we are and what we still need to do? In, in looking at it from a just this year perspective, uh, I said a seven out of 10, just this year perspective. Um, you know, the Giants signed Mike Remmers to play right tackle this year. Uh, in my eyes, he jumps immediately ahead of Chad Wheeler and George Asafao Ajay. I'll get it. I'll get it. I promise. <laughs> um, but job. he jumps right in there uh, at, at at right tackle. And, um, you know, we'll see. You know, right tackle can still get better. That is not at all what, what uh, Gettleman has envisioned for this line. I can promise you that. We'll I think see it's a, how Zeitler fits in. I think it's a very good stopgap. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, heavy emphasis on stopgap that, you know, if we can get if we can get him healthy throughout the entire 2019 season. I'm going to feel mission accomplished for him. Oh, 100 percent. And center still worries me the most. And, and I had said multiple times before the draft that I valued at this point center higher than right tackle because that step up in the pocket is so important, uh, at least right now. Um it still worries me, but I would be surprised if the biggest problem on offense uh, for this team, I'll say, the biggest problem for this team is the offensive line this year. I think the bigger problem might be what Eli Manning can or can't do, and I think it might be a lack of breakaway talent at the receiver position. Yeah, but we're going to see now, you know, the last couple of years of happy feet for Eli, you know, the panicking a little bit. We're going to see if that's kind of embedded into his game at this point. Yeah. And we're we're going to see, you know, he, you know, this will be the best offensive line he's probably had in five years. I mean, we're not saying it's the seven blocks of granite, but it should provide enough to give Saquon Barkley some running lanes and some, you know, chance for him to run. It should give Eli a chance to, you know, stay alive. Go, stay through, stay alive. One, two, go through his pro- progressions. Two. You know, I I don't know. You know, having we're going to talk about wide receivers in a minute. You know, with this wide receiver core, I don't think that's going to be the make or break to determine whether Eli is quote unquote washed or not. 
I think it's going to be just kind of the things that he does under center before getting the ball out of his hand. You know, does he still do his progressions correctly? Does he still have the arm strength? Does he still make the right decisions? All that stuff happens before the ball ever gets to a receiver. So Mm -hmm. having that offensive line will help that far more, I think, than a wide receiver core that we have. Again, anytime that you're adding multiple pieces, there's going to be that gelling issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think that Remmers and Zeitler are such veteran professionals that they'll be okay, but we have to wait and see. Yeah, we're not going to see the same, you know, train wreck we saw the first couple of games last year where we all ready to jump off the bridge. True. Again, it does worry me that the two newest pieces are right next to each other. I mean, there's chances for colossal breakdowns there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also talking about a, a, an increase in skill level and experience too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have, um, I have high hopes for George out of Kentucky who is now just George until I can get it right. I think um, I like I like George out of Kentucky. I like yeah, that because yeah. every every article I've read, every interview I've heard, every podcast I've listened to, just says I'm just going to call him George. Yeah, well, big George, George. So <laughs> you know something? If he does a good job, we'll all know his last name really easily. Yeah, and I have high hopes for him. I still think that Chad Wheeler is the first guy off the bench in in case you know Remmer's back flares up or whatever. But you know something, though? Don't you feel better having Chad Wheeler off the bench and having him in the starting rotation? I mean... That's his job. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where a team starts getting better is all of a sudden your depth starts to show. And a guy that was forced to start for basically two years is now a guy coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's probably where he belongs anyway. But that agreed. that forcing him in the starting lineup kind of uh, propelled his learning ability. Oh, know? yeah his knowledge of of the NFL game sure. Sure. Um, makes him probably a better backup. Still not starting quality, but if he has to jump in there for to finish out a game or something like that, I feel much better with that than having him jumping in there to start out a game. Of course, of course. And the fact of the matter is he's the only one that I really trust to be a left tackle on this offense. I mean, that's still a problem. Hey, solar goes down. We're we're hurting. <laughs> yeah, um, it was one of the reasons why I thought Jonah Williams might be a legitimate option for the Giants, or you know, um, Andre Dillard was like my my tackle number one in the draft, and it was simply because there's no left tackle depth. Nate Solder's only going to be here for two years more. You know, if they if they were to take somebody like Dillard or Williams, throw them in at right tackle, and then move them over. The left tackle later on, I could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, the wide receiver group, you know, it it took a little bit of a hit. Uh, some minor news in the off season. <laughs> oh, you say so? <laughs> yeah. Um, losing Odell Beckham does so much to this entire offense that it's difficult to really quantify it. Um, yeah, we could, we could spin it all we want, how the cap money and less distractions and blah, 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 blah. The fact is we lost one of the three best receivers in the league when he's healthy. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I guess, I guess I have to throw this out there. I wasn't for it. I'm still not for it. I still question that that was the best move, the right move, or the necessary move. 
Um, I think he's a guy who changes the entire game completely, and that's something you don't just give away. Uh, but it is what it is. I'm just not going to dwell on it anymore. It's, it's not worth it. I think if we are if we were an eight and eight team, even a seven and nine team, I agree with you. I think this team had a, a roster. It almost had to be completely rebuilt and need as many assets as they can. You know, it's kind of, it's also, you know, I've heard a lot of these things and we're going to talk about this in our next episode about, you know, why did we get rid of snacks? And when we drafted somebody who's basically the same version of it, it's like, you don't need to be carrying that much salary for a guy when you're in this stage of the team development, you know, if the drop off is, you know, and I'm, I'm going more into the snacks thing than I am in the Beckham thing, you know, if it's not significant enough to kind of not offset how much you're saving in money, which is need for other resources, I'm okay with it. Beckham, you know, if, again, if we were eight and eight, we're knocking on the door of the playoffs. There's no way in hell I'd want to get rid of him. I just don't think his value for a team that's in a complete rebuild even in his relative young age is not nearly what it is with a team that's better. So I was kind of, all right, well, well, we're now in rebuild mode. You know, it's officially, it is on. We are not any delusions of we're going to try to rebuild on the fly and still try to win. And it had to be done. I guess so. I don't know. He's signed on for five years. So I don't think that it was a five-year rebuild with him on the roster. So. Yeah, but you're I mean, also... it's it's a valid point that they need every yeah. asset they can get. However, I and don't it... think that even if they hadn't traded him, it would have taken five years to be to build a competent team. Yeah, but you're also spending if it takes you know three to four years, you're spending three years at a high high salary amount, or really not getting the return that you could by getting other pieces. I mean, the rebuild if they do this right and you know. Everything pans out from the draft picks from them and, and, and everything else. The rebuild theoretically should happen a lot faster than if he was still on the roster. Yeah, agreed. And that's to be determined. We can't answer that the night of the trade, you know, a week after the first draft after it, before, you know, the first practice and pads. It's going to be a to be determined. And people don't want to wait to analyze things like this. They want to make a quick decision. But sorry, you're going to have to wait for this one. That being said, the Giants did sign Golden Tate to fill the void at least a little bit. Um, And I I think our starting rotation is something close to Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Corey Coleman. I'm not sure that Cody Latimer really breaks into the fold. It it, it might just kind of flip-flop around based on what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not top-heavy for talent, but it's, it's steady. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the Seattle Seahawks. You know, for for all these years now, going back, what, five, six years, they've never really had a stellar group of wide receivers that jumped off the page. I mean, Doug Baldwin became Doug Baldwin, but he was not a household name before he really showed it to the world, right? Yeah, I mean, how would you – if someone – was near the NFL. How would you describe what the Seahawks offense has been since they've had Russell Wilson? It's been Russell Wilson. Yeah. And when you have a, a unique talent like him who can create things and, you know, do you need to have, you know, grade A receivers around him? No. Guys, you can just kind of do their job. 
But of course, yeah. we don't have we don't have Russell Wilson. So one hundred percent, yeah. And, and but I mean, at the same time, Doug Baldwin. I don't want to take anything away from him. I mean, is a incredible mm-hmm. route runner. Um, but then again, I mean, overall as a group, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are a, a, a nice one-two punch to have. Corey Coleman and Cody Latimer are former high round draft picks um, and are relatively young. You know, there there is talent here. This is not like yeah the the, the weakest wide receiver group in the league. I agree. The problem is they're a solid, really two three punch instead of a one two punch. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Which you know maybe for year one of the rebuild you don't need that number one guy. I mean, again, we, you have to make your decisions on what you're going to replace you know, in priority. You can't fix every hole in year one. Mm-hmm. And finding a number one receiver is not as big you know, as fixing the offensive line, getting a pass rusher, you know, your quarterback of the future, all these you know, different pressing needs that are out there. And I understand that, and I'm fine with that. It will be interesting to see what this group shakes out to be. I mean, obviously, Tate and Shepard are locks, but I think everything, everybody after that could fall off the map. I mean, Corey Coleman is no lock to keep the team. Neither is Cody Latimer. Russell Shepard is probably the closest after that because of his special teams ability. I think this is another position where we're going to find uh, Oh yeah, the third, the third receiver is on a different roster at this moment. Um. You know, Benny Fowler came in and played pretty well down the stretch last year, but don't think he's any sort of lock to make the roster. Darius no. Slayton might maybe, if he shows that he's got some competency, makes the roster just based on his draft pick status and, you know, his speed. I mean, speed is something you can't teach, and it's an asset at all times. So they'll probably make well, him be a good well, gunner, you know. Well, let's talk about the rookies that we uh, we brought in. You mean the undrafted free agents? No. What's the name from Auburn? Darius Slayton. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I he's got some serious weaknesses to his game. There's a reason why he dropped. But again, speed kills. It's one of those things you just can't teach. Uh, I I right. would think that if he's not really ready to play the wide receiver position in a any sort of capacity by week one, they will make him be a good special teams player so that they keep him on the roster so that uh-huh. he continues to develop throughout the year and then gets on the field at some point as a receiver. That's mm-hmm. my guess. Um, yeah. He was not drafted to be a number one receiver, but he was drafted to be, you know, to compete for and get a, a role in the rotation in this receiver core. Do you think this team is being designed to even have a number one receiver? Um. I mean, did Carolina have one under Gettleman? I mean, he sort of inherited Steve Smith, so. Yeah, I, I think a guy like Newton, though, is kind of a unique. You know, it's sort of like we just talked about uh, Russell Shepard was, uh, not Russell Shepard, Russell Wilson was a unique yeah. kind of talent. Cam Newton's a unique talent as well. What about um, Minnesota under Pat Shermer? I mean, yeah, they had Teddy Bridgewater, but without him, I mean, they still had just. Adam Thielen was not really thought of as number one. Stefan Diggs wasn't really either. It was very much like a one, two, three with those two and Kyle Rudolph, right? Yeah, but do you think they were built that way specifically or just they just didn't have one? I mean – I don't know. That's what I'm asking. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just uh, that's the way it shook out. I mean, I think if they had the opportunity, like next year, if uh, you know the number one wide receivers on the board and we're drafting, let's say seventh, I would not be surprised if we went for him. Would you be to able be to the- stomach Judy being on the roster? Who? Judy. Jerry Judy. Ta- Jerry Judy. What are you talking about? Alabama. Yeah. I, hey. If, I could very easily stomach having Tua on this roster next year. Well, all right. Yeah. To ask. I don't know. We don't play Bama that much, so it's not like it's something that's in my face every year or, you know. Well, all right. I'll, I'll have to start Googling some Florida State and Georgia wide receivers. Well, that's different. Now now we're getting into some problems, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. The cranky fan doesn't want to win, everybody. <laughs> the cranky fan has to live with himself every day. He has to wake up and look himself in the mirror and say, <laughs> I can live in that skin. And uh, I had to suffer through Danny Cannell. Oh, we all did. Who, that guy, you know, a piece of shit on so many different levels. I don't have time to get into him, but. You know. I, I've never seen someone so universally disliked on Twitter and still have an opinion and like a following that people follow. Well, it's very the, – the reason why he has a following is he's developed this anti-SEC shtick, and most of the country that it does not live in the southeast hates the SEC for its dominance on the field. So he is the one who just found a niche of I'm going to be the anti-SEC guy. That's true. And, he, and he's going to say lots of stupid nonsense that none of it's true, but his – Minions are going to believe and cheer him on. Sounds familiar, but uh... <laughs> um, Danny Cannell sucked, and uh, I remember being legitimately excited as a young kid for uh, for him. And I well, I remember so him. disappointed. I remember him when he was at Florida State, and they had a run from the late '80s to the early 2000s of having. Very solid college quarterbacks, but you knew were not going to be NFL starting quality. I mean, you know, we've seen that, and you know, Florida's had that. All these schools have it. You know, you know they're going to win like all ACC, and they're going to win, you know, ten, eleven games in college. But you knew they're not NFL guys. Uh, Jesse Palmer, you know, another, uh, you know, uh, another giant quarterback who's like that. Um, yeah. That was a that was a dark that post Sims period, really until Kerry Collins was just being lost in the wilderness of, of starting quarterbacks, and he was right up there in there. Do you find it weird that Jim Fossil doesn't have a job? He was a offensive assistant. He wasn't even an offensive coordinator with somebody, wasn't he? When after he was with us, and he went somewhere. He had a job in some other league as a as a head coach a couple of years ago, some USFL or whatever. I feel like he was like an offensive assistant, and I'm doing a quick search right now to find it. I mean, you're probably right. I, I don't believe he was completely out of the league uh, following his time with the Giants. But, I, you know, that was a really good – you know, in 2001, I, I – legitimately thought that there was a shot to win the Super Bowl. All right. In 2003, he was fired by the Giants. Yes. 
2004, he became an offensive consultant for the Ravens. Helped develop Kyle Boiler. Bowler. Oh, wow. Became the became the Ravens offensive coordinator in 2005. Um, ranked near the bottom of the league in offense in 2005-2006. So he started. He made it to October 17, 2006, and he was fired. He never had a job in the NFL again. He was the head coach of the Las Vegas Locomotives of yep. what league? Can you oh, name the league? I cannot. The United Football League. Oh, UFL. Defeated the – they won the first UFL championship by beating the Florida Tuskers. They repeated. Wow. Yeah, I, I this is all coming back to me. The Florida Tuskers that that like sparked something in my brain there. <laughs> but yeah, but our point being is really after you know a coach that went to the Super Bowl, basically had one job in the NFL after that, and that was it. Crazy. Yeah, kind of a weird. I'm um, really quickly as we continue the Jim Fossil Hour here on the Just Giants podcast. I'm looking at his career at the Giants in the East. Came in first, third, third, first, third, second, fourth. Kind of a little yo-yo-y like we've a seen. Bit, but I mean, so did Coughlin. The only difference is that he won his Super Bowl, so he kept his job. That's true. I mean, in uh, in 2000. You know, they were – that was the year they blew out uh, Minnesota in that, the NFC, NFC Championship yeah, game. Yeah, oh, yeah. That yeah. game wasn't even worth watching. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> that was one of the most – you know, one of the best experiences I've ever had at a giant game, that one. Um, but, you know, I think we were actually were favored in that, in that Super Bowl too. That's nonsense. I would have I, – I did not think that – that was going to be a tough team to beat, no matter who played them. The Ravens. I will get you that point spread. I mean, as, as you, speak. you very well may be right. I'm not debating that. What I am saying is that I would not have agreed with that, no matter what the spread was. Uh, the Ravens were favored by three. There you go. Yeah. Nevertheless, I did think there was a legitimate shot that they would win that game. And that game was over within about one minute, I think. Well, if uh, Trent Dilfer wasn't the quarterback of Baltimore, we'd have lost that game ninety-seven to seven. Yeah, I mean he overthrew. I remember three guys that were wide open for touchdowns, and he overthrew them. And uh, that's the only reason why that game was even more disgusting. Well, well, we can all take solace. This is the last time Rex Ryan had any sort of bragging rights over the Giants. <laughs> it's also the last time the Giants ever lost the Super Bowl, too. So, good point. <laughs> that's pretty much it for this week on just giants next week we'll be back with the defensive roster state of the roster um you know as of this may um is next week memorial day no right no we got two weeks before memorial day Yeah, how about that so yeah. you guys have a good weekend i guess but you know have, have a good too pre- good of a weekend have a good yeah have a good weekend but you know don't do too anything too crazy so you can enjoy memorial weekend the next weekend i guess Practice your barbecue skills. 
<laughs> this is where legends are made the week before Memorial Day. If you want to send those burgers my way so I can taste test them, I'll be more than happy to. So, and where can we eat? Where can we send that on Twitter? Those uh, yummy hamburgers. Well, you can ignore at the cranky fan and go straight to at football underscore grump. <laughs> um, mine come with cheese because I'm not a, a heathen. Ugh. Not me. Dingus over here. Eats <laughs> cheeseburgers with no cheese. I don't I mean, ham. I haven't even said the word hamburger in like the last thirty years. Who so does uncultured. Yeah, well, yeah, sane people. <laughs> I haven't met a single sane person. <laughs> um, the the podcast is always bumped on Twitter at Just Giants Pod. We continue to bump it there. Furthermore, uh, you know, at football underscore grump and at the cranky fan. But please be sure to follow us for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean. You know, just search Just Giants. Subscribe there. It is absolutely free, and all of that stuff will just be ready to listen as soon as uh, it's uploaded. So and hop in the coming, car and it'll be there. And coming soon, major announcements where you can find us in even more locations. So. Yeah, that was sort of our project this offseason. It's underway. Um, <laughs> Sort of out of our hands at the moment, being reviewed for uh, approval. But, <laughs> God help us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, pray for us, I guess. <laughs> All right, everyone, go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>